Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly D. Hey, fuckos. It's me, Dr. Fuck, and with me is... Oh, yeah, the Ayatollah of No Bahola. The Ayatollah. He's he's grew. He, you grew. You, yeah, yeah. You sprouted. Yes, I, I'm taller and I've shrunk at the same time. Ah, okay. You don't want to talk my, about that, do you? Ah, I don't care. All right, go ahead. I, I, am, I am truly black Irish now because not only can I not go to the beach, but my shit don't swim. I got a vasectomy, so I'm on pills and alcohol today. Hell yeah, a vasectomy. I might do that too, Ian. Yes, hey, uh, it was $50. Nah, you know what? Why would I get a vasectomy? I don't like coming in chicks. I, I'm a facial kind of guy. Oh. The the ultimate birth control is facial. But actually, I, I fucking wear a condom every time I fuck. What's the yeah, point well, of me being snipped? I was I was gonna say uh, that's a uh, a great falsehood I found out as far as uh, impregnating chicks. Uh, usually it is the pre cum uh, that gets chicks knocked up. It's not like your main load. It's just like the shit that comes out while you're having fun. Uh, you're ten times more likely to knock a chick up with your pre cum than you are your full load. So. Well, as I said, I wear a condom. Yeah, fuck I'm, that. I, I'm a condom guy, so I don't. I, I don't have to worry about pre-cum or, or regular load. It all goes on the girl, the pretty girl's face, which is a beautiful thing. You know, I think... Fuck com- condoms. They don't, they don't make them my size. Fuck coming in a girl. That's how I look. Okay. What, they don't make tiny condoms? Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they always fall off. I'm like, fuck this shit. Get bubblegum. Gr- ruins the moment. Get bubblegum. Uh, that's what I do. I'm Chinese, you know. <laughs> Anyway, we are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, and we're doing Iron Maiden's 1982 Number of the Beast. Legendary album, don't you think, Ian? Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one, unlike our penises. And uh, so, dude, so we got uh, any news? Well, in in the news this week, uh, Bruce Dickinson, who just put out a new book, uh, said that he finds it (coughs) funny that people are more prepared to pay for a book uh, than they are an album. And uh, he has an easier time selling that. Wah, wah, and, wah. And, uh, well, yes, he, he is a very, like, you know, get-off-my-lawn kind of guy, even more so than you and me. But I, uh, I, I got to tell you, I heard most of the audiobook, and it's yeah. not bad. And yeah. You know I me, mean? I'm the first one to bash that dude, but I was listening to his audiobook. I'm up to, like, peace of mind now. And it's not bad. It's a good listen. <clears throat> oh, uh, I would like to check that out. It's on uh, YouTube. But I do feel like I think there's a lot of different things that contribute to uh, to that. And uh, you know, l- let me know if you agree. But I, I think an even bigger problem than illegal downloading, as far as record sales, has to do with how people listen to music nowadays. Uh, because I, I mean, I have thousands of CDs, but I never put on a CD 
because I have it on my computer. Uh, I have it on my phone. It's just, you know, it's an easier way to listen to music, even though in 2017 I've spent more uh, on music than I have in the last 10 years because of my refound love in vinyl. I've been buying way much more vinyl, and of course because it's the hip thing to do, it's even more expensive than fucking what I was paying for CDs. But I think it sounds better, and uh, and I love it, but I'm even limited on when I can play my vinyl because, you know, I have to do it at home. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm alone because my girlfriend might not want to hear what I'm playing. So nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm listening to uh, an MP3 version. And I think that has to do with record sales as well because I, I just think most people don't listen to a CD format. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's true. I, I do still. I do still play my CDs that I don't own on vinyl, but that's because I don't really have the best audio system on my computer, so I prefer to hear my music through my big-ass speakers on the stereo. So I'll put on a CD, but I do understand why people do it because if you put on a CD, you got to stand up 70 minutes later and take it out. Where on the computer you can go right into the next thing, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. it's not just that. Like, like how when I play stuff, uh, you know, through my computer, because I, I I take full advantage of Bluetooth technology. So either I'm listening with my headphones on, or if not, I'm playing everything through my computer, but on either my sound bar or through that huge speaker that you saw that I bought. And, and I do it like that, you know, rather than putting in, like, the, the laptop I have now doesn't even have a CD drive. Like, I never use CDs anymore. Right, uh, I understand. I still so, have a CD player. So, I, I, I mean, I, I do, I have, like, a portable one that I plug into my computer that can play uh, Bluetooths. Because for whatever reason, they don't have laptops that can play Bluetooth, so I bought a separate drive that'll play, you know, CDs, DVDs, and Bluetooths through my computer. But still, it's like whenever I get anything, I always get an MP3 copy. Now, I always try to get uh, an, uh, a 320 uh, bit version of it, you know, like the best sounding you can get other than a FLAC file. But because iTunes doesn't recognize FLAC files, you know, I convert everything to 320 MP3s. But I, I never put on a CD. It's either vinyl or my computer. Yes, I understand. Um, but anyway. I, I, I think that I think that does hamper sales, though. No, I, mean, I, I, I understand. And what I'm, but you see, I guess uh, my in my situation, uh, I don't have Bluetooth, and I should continue not looking into that because it forces me to play CDs on my stereo. And you know what? I mean, CDs get a bad rap a lot, and for many reasons, it deserves to get a bad rap. But there are CDs that sound phenomenal, that are very sound. And some, I would even say, is kind of better than the vinyl. I can't think of any offhand at the moment, uh, but I remember listening to some CDs and then listening to the vinyl and thinking, man, this sounds better than the vinyl. But that's very rare. I usually, mostly, when I, when I turn on my stereo, fucking eight times out of ten, it's a vinyl. You know, I'm not right. going to lie, but... But I always play my CDs, and like you, I also own thousands of CDs. I own, like, uh, I think, I don't know how many albums I own. I think 1,300. 
Um, so, um, I just love listening to my stereo. And I'm just old school that I never change it. But I do agree with you 100% that uh, that's how the world is today, man. That's how most people listen to music. They listen to it on their, you know, on their computer. And But I don't. I mean, I do at times, you know, to check out something. Like if I, Mr. X sends me something right. that's not out yet, yes, I'll listen to it on my computer. And if I like it, I can't wait to play it on my stereo when I buy the hard copy. Right, but like with my uh, <clears throat> with my record player, uh, my record player, I bought a device so it works as Bluetooth. So I send that to whatever speaker system I want to use. But it's like if I if I'm gonna buy something now, I, I never buy a CD. I'm gonna buy the vinyl. And one thing we both agree on, you know, we're like, oh fuck this, it's got to be original, because as people who buy records, we know those 180 grams sound way better. You know, nine point nine times out of ten, than, than the old shit, than anything, man. These one hundred and eighty gram vinyls. That that to me is the best sound right now going. Yes, uh, and and I hear snobs bash it. Uh, it's not as good as the original press. Like, get the fuck out of my face, man. Then get a new turntable, seriously. And I don't even have the best turntable there is, and I can tell. I I do, dude, religiously. When I buy in a 180 gram, religiously, I play the original first before I get, a, you know, today, actually, I got a box full of vinyl. I don't even know what came in the mail today. I can't wait to open that up. I know a couple that I ordered, but uh, you know, one that I ordered, uh, Book of Souls. Can you believe it? Uh, wow. talk, talking about Iron Maiden. I bought Book of Souls on vinyl. I saw it with wow. a really great price on Discogs and and I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm a completist. And I and I actually think that's their, I think that album's even better than Brave New World. So I that's why. Wow. I, yeah, I do. I do think it's better. I don't think wow. Brave New World's on vinyl, is it? Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, all on vinyl now. They're well, yeah. all on 180. But, you and know, I, I really don't feel like buying that on vinyl. I'm not a fan of Brave New World. Except for two songs. Oh, uh, I just picked up, uh, what did I get? Two weeks ago, I got Killers on 180. Oh, did that song. Oh, yeah. I got that and the first one. I got oh, both of those on 180. Yeah. I got yeah, another that, version that's picture disc that sounds great, too. 180 picture disc. Yeah, I, I, I try to stay away from the picture disc because I've just heard so much negativity about you know, the sound quality. I think the uh, I, I do have a maiden picture disc. I have one of the first 10 years on picture disc. Uh, that first 10 years box set. And, and, and I did notice it, it sounded horrible. I have, wow. I have that box. You know, when when you bought the first ten years, it each each copy brought a little, little voucher in there. And if right. you collect all ten, you send it in. They'll send you a box to put it in. Right. And they sent me the Iron Maiden box to put all my, you know, my vinyl in. That shit is so flimsy. Right. It's so fucked up. It's it's barely holding together. But I have it. You know, I have I have I've, every single uh, uh, single from uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah, I've got I've got two of the first ten years collections. One uh, is just the regular version, and one's the picture disc. I think I've got Purgatory on just the regular. You know, it's got a real sleeve. It's just regular vinyl. And then I think I've got uh, Two Minutes to Midnight on the picture disc. And it was like, oh man, yeah, the sound quality. Yeah, every, every single one I have is black vinyl. I have no picture yeah. disc whatsoever. I do have like a picture disc of. Bring your daughter to the slaughter. Holy, no, not holy smoke. 
bring your daughter to Slaughter I have on picture disc, and I believe I have another one from, you know, later on, you know. But uh, I, let me ask you a question, because I'm not yes, even sir. aware of this shit. Did Iron Maiden release any B-sides since uh, X-Factor? I mean, uh, I don't recall hearing anything from Iron Maiden where they went and recorded some B-sides for these other these albums after X-Factor. Uh, to, to tell you that, I can't give you the definitive answer, but as far as I know, uh, no, they haven't. It's probably but, like live tracks and shit. Yeah, but, but you know, the, the singles don't get released like they used to. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, if, if it's a single, uh, you know, just because of the day and age we live in, a lot of times what you'll see is there'll be a uh, a lyrical video will be released on YouTube where they just have the words, and then sometimes, you know, if the band's on a big enough label, then there'll be an actual video video. Uh, but you don't see as many singles, uh, especially with the major label bands. Like, I'm in, you know, one of my favorite bands, definitely, like, nowadays, is Uncle Ass and the Deadbeats. Now, they release a lot of 45s, and I've bought all those, and those have B-sides, Um uh, you know, but even those are generally like, you know, different recordings, not covers. Uh, but, you know, Maiden was famous for that. But I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think they have released a lot since then. But, you know, fuck, I barely pay attention to what the fuck Maiden releases anyway. You know, I've, I've got an illegal couple of that, that uh, Book of Souls, the live chapter album. And I haven't even fucking listened to it. I got it because I'm a completist, but at the same time, Man, I'm in no hurry to hear that shit because I thought the album sucked so fucking bad. But maybe one of these days I'll get around to it and who knows? I might like those songs better in a live setting. You know, the same way uh, when I got the Rock and Rio DVD before it was even an audio CD, I got the DVD. And man, hearing Bruce sing those fucking Blaze songs, I was like, oh man, now I really like this. So who knows? Maybe I'll like some of those Book of Souls fucking bullshit songs. You know, in a live setting. I don't know. Yeah, that was your pick of the week on this episode. Oops, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, was it? I love that Rock and Rio. I love it. I love it as well. I have the DVD. I don't even buy the audio shit. But I, I love it. I, I think Bruce Dickinson, his voice is amazing on I mean, not as amazing a number of the beasts, mind you, but compared right. to Live After Death, fuck yeah, dude. And, you know, you think I, a lot of people think I just bash on Maiden, but, dude, I'll give credit when credit's due. Bruce Dickinson on the Brave New World Tour is way better than he is on. I'll take Rocco and Rio over Live After Death any day. But at the same time, I definitely prefer Live After Death set list over Rock and Rio, you know, because there is a lot of songs I don't like on, on Rock and Rio. But I'm just saying, Bruce's performance is so good on it compared to... And I, like you said earlier, man, his version of those Blaze songs, amazing. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know, I, I, I don't have this set list in front of me, but I would think the only song that I don't like on Rock and Rio is Blood Brothers. Oh my uh, god, I can't stand that song. But oh, I can't stand, I, hate that song. I can't stand most of uh, Brave New World. If Blood Brothers, uh, I mean, uh, Flight of Navigator, whatever that's called, that's a great song. Oh, and, I love that song. And uh, Fallen, Fallen Angels are my favorite tracks on there. Alright, well... Amongst the top 20 worldwide tours of 2017 were Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Oh, yeah, two bands that really ruined their legacy, huh, Ian? I mean, if you want to talk about a band that tried to ruin their legacy? Those two will be, like, 
you know, in the top, right? I mean, as much as I love Chinese democracy, goddamn, that's a slap in the face to appetite, don't you think? Uh, uh, yeah, you think? Oh, and, horrible. And, you, and use your illusion, too. It's bloated mess. But yeah. look, look, they're the biggest touring bands out there in the uh, hard rock metal genre. So but, fuck uh, you with your leg. I Angus Young's gonna ruin their legacy if he gets Axl Rose. Go no. suck a fucking homeless man's anus. But I uh, haven't seen toilet paper in years. One one thing I will say, even though I I can't stand the band Avenged Sevenfold, uh, the guy made a comment about like you know the people who came to the this last Metallica tour, they're black album people, and and I I, I believe that one thousand percent. Yeah, uh, of course. You know, and, and and it's funny and sad at the same time. Like, I can't believe. On one hand, I can, and one hand, I can't believe how big this fucking Guns and Roses tour is, with fucking, uh, with, you know, no new music, just playing the fucking old shit, and it just goes to show you that all people really care about is there's a guitar player with a fucking top hat up there. Well, uh, I tell you, I was at the tour, dude. Nothing got a bigger response than Welcome to the Juggle and Sweet Child of Mine in Paradise City. You know, and uh, right, well, and, and Don't Cry. You know what I mean? I, I, it's the same thing. People, uh, you know, that guy said, these people are just fans of the Black Album. Well, in Guns N' Roses' case, these people are just fans of the hits. Oh, I, I, I agree a, a thousand percent. I, I just find it sad that there's so many better bands out there touring uh you know and, and and that this this is the top shit that people come out for you know it's it, even even worse so in guns and roses you know at least metallica put out a new fucking album you know and i'll give them props for that and i and i enjoyed that album love it but, but guns and roses is the biggest fucking nostalgia bullshit there fucking is well uh, i gotta say dude that was the best time I ever saw Guns N' Roses. Oh, no, hey, I, I, I know you enjoyed it, you know, but I just think about, like, there's so many other better bands out there that are touring and are struggling playing fucking clubs, well, not these, even the, These are bands that nobody gives a fuck about except hardcores. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I accept it, dude. I accept it. I'm like, whatever, dude. You know, say la vie, say la va. You know, it's like, dude, whatever, man. As long as it's still coming here, and yeah, it sucks for them. Maybe I am a bit selfish when it comes to this like that. But I'm about to go see in a couple weeks on a Friday, by the way, so we can't record two Fridays from now, um, somebody that you really despise. And I am psyched to see him. And I can't believe he's coming to Florida. Uh, Grand Bonnet. Oh, God. I'm so excited for that. And again... You know, I love him or not, whatever. The guy to me is legendary and 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 has been around for decades and decades and he's playing some small club two hours away from me. Sad for him, but I'm so fucking excited. Same club's gonna have Udo in April, I think. Oh I'm nice. Gonna, I'm gonna see Michael Shanker in a club in Tampa. Yes, it sucks. These are guys that should be, you know, in the in, in the stratosphere like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, but Hey, man, as long as they're still playing, I'm sorry, guy, that you ain't making the Metallica money, but I'm selfish. I want to see you play. You know, if it was a case where, look, we can't tour anymore, we can't afford it, and then right. it's only Metallica, Guns N' Roses out there playing, then I'd be a little bit more on your side. 
but at least I still get to see them, you know? And intimately, oh, yeah. by the way, you know? Yeah, I uh, know, and, 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 and you bring up a good point about the intimately, because, man, when I'm looking at the news today, getting ready for this episode, I was like, God, not only is there, like, really nothing I give a shit about, I'm looking at, like, what concerts do I have coming up? And, like, there's no... Even bands that I want to see, unfortunately, aren't coming to New Orleans. And uh, and ones that I do want to see are either coming, like, on a school night or they're playing crappy theaters that I don't want to see. Like, okay, prime example, a band I know you fucking hate, I fucking love, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. They're playing not only on a fucking school night, but they're playing a fucking theater. And, and that's another disturbing trend here in New Orleans because uh, a lot of the clubs where I love to see bands play that I feel are rock and roll uh, atmospheric clubs, now they're playing these theaters. Uh, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes uh, where Queens is playing. It's all seats. It's a place where they do plays and they do, you know, stand-up comments and shit like that. I hate seeing a fucking band that I love in a place like this. There should always be a floor. There should always be a pit. There should be drugs. There should be cigarette smoke. There should be all this shit uh, to create that rock and roll atmosphere. I hear you, Ian, and I understand and sympathize with your ass. Well, thank you, sir. I just, you know, I'm just like, just still, I'm very grateful for what we have. No, and I understand what you're saying. I am too. I mean, it's great. Hey, if you like fucking Graham Bonnet and you get to go see him, great. Yeah, I, he's he's my queen of the Stone Age, bro. Oh, personally, I want to get him, fucking Phil Mogg, and Sammy Hagar in one venue and blow that fucker up. But yeah, well, just... you know, hey, man, me, I would like to get uh, uh, Queen of the Stone Age, Primus, and Faith No More to knock their fucking big toe into the corner of a chair and have it all turn blue. Their turn toenails blue. That's what I would want with them, but I wouldn't wish them death. That's because you're a better person. Well, yeah, but not just because of that. Just overall, <laughs> I'm fucking awesome. Well, here's a band that is touring in 2018. Touring? Uh, touring. I know. I'm, I'm on pills in the vodka. I'm right. talking a little weird. Okay. But uh, uh, Rat will tour in 2018. Yeah. And, that, and that's one I will take a day off for. But again, I hope they're not playing... Uh, the last time they came through here, I skipped it. It was them and the Scorpions, and I've never seen the Scorpions. Oh, you got lucky there, because Rat was terrible. They're better now. Right. But, uh, but no, again, that was at a fucking performance theater. Oh, I hate that shit. It, dep- it depends on, on the act. Like, I saw, I saw Joe Jackson at one of these performance theaters, and it was fine for Joe Jackson. I hope he stubs his toe, too, that fuck. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but for metal, it should be all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, hard rock and all that shit. All right, well, here's something uh, that you could hate on, and man, I'm hating on it, too. Wow, was this a fucking disappointment. Oh, man, if you think, if, if, if it's not what I think you're going to say, I got to bring something up, too, that was so bad. Okay. Let's see if well, it's the same we'll thing. see. I this is a band that I know you fucking hate. Oh, no, then this, it's not. Then it's not this. And, and, and this is a band I go back and forth on, but oh, my God, is this shit so horrible. The new Machine Head. 
Oh my god, did you hear the new single? Why would I even bother? That band sucks. Oh man. Well, well let me ask you this. I mean, I mean, do you even hate Burn My Eyes? Yeah, I didn't like Davidian or, or what is it? Really? Old uh, Jesus Wept or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, you didn't you didn't, you didn't like you any know, of You know, you know what it is, Ian. I think I may be a slight bias too. I, and I, I, I was going to get into yeah. that. It's hard for, you know, I, I may be wrong with Machine Head on, because from leaving my favorite San Francisco Bay Area band to that was like such a disappointment. Maybe if he was never in violence, I'd be like, okay, it's, I wouldn't think it's awesome still, but I don't think I would hate it as much as I do now. You know? Right. No, I didn't well, like Davidian or Ten Ton Hammer or all that shit. No, nothing. Well, I mean, I also know that, you know, you, you had a bad experience with him. Yeah, I, I, I get how that will curb your uh, opinion because I'm, I'm the same way with Peter Chris. I, I, I firmly believe, I mean, even though his fucking anything Peter Chris does solo makes fucking Matchbox 20 sound like fucking Cannibal Corpse. Okay, you're going a but, little overboard there, even though his solo uh, shit sucks. Yeah, you're, nah, it's fucking horrible. It's fucking horrible. It's putrid. Uh, you know, and his drumming is spotty at best. But, I, I, I mean, I... I Definitely, a lot of my opinion of Peter Chris was through my meeting Peter Chris. Yeah, but dude, have you actually sat down recently and watched the Winterland show? Uh, hotter than hell. Oh Hall. no! Oh no! No, the old times, the old time stuff. He 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 did great, dude, but he I was great. He was Keith Moon level drummer, you know? Right, but amazing. I but but I I think he he tapped out at fucking Love Gun. Yes, I, I agree, but I'm just saying there right. was a time Peter Chris was one of the best drummers out there. I, Hell, I, I'd even go as far to say he's the most talented guy in Kiss, uh, technical wise in the early days. I mean, you know, Gene Simmons would be number two because I think Gene Simmons yeah. is I, criminally I, underrated. But he, you got to admit, you know, he may have not lost his technical ability, but he sure did dumb it down. You know, right? Well, I, I I think Gene's a very underrated bass player, big time. And, uh, you know, and I think Paul's a great songwriter. I I think Ace is unique. Uh, with his all guitar of them, play. all of them are extremely uh, talented, and Paul has to be the most underrated songwriter in all of rock, if you ask me. Right, but what what I what I'm getting at with it though is, is you know certain things will shape your your opinion of somebody, and like you know. You you had a bad you know meeting with uh, Rob Flynn. I, honestly, I'll tell you the truth too about that. I didn't like Machine Head, and I went to that show because I'm such a violence fanboy. And you know, I mean, it was it was you know something I didn't have nothing to do that night. I said, okay, let me go see Machine Head. I already saw them once, open for Slayer, and it was terrible. But I said, let me go see Machine Head and get my violence shit uh, signed and talk to Rob Flynn and talk violence because I love violence so much. And yeah, he didn't. He came out, and it was for a Florida. It was cold as fuck. It was one of those rare, real cold Florida days. And the fucker, I, he saw me. He had all the, all the stuff for him to sign. He's like, "Hey, can you sign this?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be right back." And he never came back out of his tour bus. And I was like, "You know, that's fucked up." Right. Waited forty minutes. Right. Well, irregardless, uh, I am a. You know, sometime fan of Machine Head. I've seen them live a bunch of times and always enjoyed them live. But man, some of their shit, I'm like, yeah. And other shit, I'm like, uh. When I heard this new song, 
Oh, it's so bad. It's so. I so, gotta, I gotta hear it now. Oh, oh no, no, save yourself, dude. No, just save. to reinforce my hatred on the guy. Oh, Let me well. tell you something else. You know, I saw Machine Head like maybe five times before because I remember they were on a couple of those odd fests I went to. I saw them at um, uh, the Slayer, like I was saying. I saw him headline the night he blew me off. The last time I saw Machine Head, and I can't remember who headlined, but I went to it for the headliner. I think it was Entombed. I could be wrong. And they were opening for Entombed. And this was during, the, what was the name of that new metal album? Burning Red or something like that? Yeah, well, they did two new metal albums. Burning Red and Supercharger. I, I'm pretty sure it was the Burning Red. Dude, he came out, I shit you not, shirtless with fucking uh, uh, electric tape on his nipples like Wendy O. Williams. Right. With that little, like, uh, spiky hair, new metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember watching that and thinking to myself, nobody, I mean nobody, nobody is more of a trendoid than this fucking idiot. And, oh, man, I can't stand him. And that whole video he did about Phil Anselmo, re you know, revigorated how much I hate this guy, you know? I just hate him. Right. I hate him as a person, as a performer. He sucked, and he was so good in violence, it kills me, you know? Yeah, well, watch this. Watch the video for catharsis, or however the fuck you pronounce it. You'll hate him even more. It's fucking garbage. Well, it, it, that, it, it's going to be tough to do, but I'll try. I'll try like, to hate him more, Ian. It, it's like Avenged Sevenfold, Five Finger Donkey Punch shit. It's yeah, really and, and it's And it just reinforces what I say about Rob Flynn. This is a guy that wants stardom. He's not going to stick to the true machine head he's gonna go for that oh i got it we gotta get popular because the blacken album got a critics and we got we're getting a good fan base now but let's turn our back on him and pull a fucking black album load it worked for metallica it's gonna work for right. me this guy's full of himself fuck him well and, and that's the thing where i have uh you know I'm, I'm torn there because i love burn my eyes the blackening i think is fucking awesome I think it's a great album. But I, then, gave, I gave that one a chance, too. And you didn't uh, like it? No, I didn't like it. Uh, it was too too many long songs, I remember, on that. Yeah, they were they were quite long on that one. Yeah, I, Dude, I give everything a chance, dude. I really do. I mean, I'll admit, I haven't given Machine Head a chance in like a couple years now. But, you know, I did. I heard so much good things about the blackening that I went and investigated it. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's like... Dude, I'm not going to say it's the worst thing I ever heard in my life, and, and, along with Burn My Eyes. I mean, it's not like the worst. I mean, I can't sit here and say this is complete garbage, but it's just going from, you know, eternal nightmare and oppressing the masses to that, to me, it, it really taints it for me. That, Like I said before, if there was no such thing as right. violence, I may have appreciated a tinge more. But it's like Soulfly, you know, or... Um, well, Soulfly is a bad example because I love Sepultura. But, you know, there's other bands out there that I hear and I'm like, man, it's not the worst thing I heard, but I wouldn't run out and buy it. That's what I think of Machine Head. I feel Machine Head like you feel about Headless Children to Crimson Idol. Ooh. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God. You know, you go from that to this. That's okay. what I'm trying. That's how, Maybe you'll understand me a little better than that. Okay, case closed. Yeah, because that's, oh, wow, what a drop off. And man, I cannot understand these fucking wasp people. Like, oh, you got to check out what was that last one? Gold. Oh, that was terrible. Great guitar solos on that album. So but many people fucking praise that shit. I'm that like, album's you even terrible. Like wasp. That album's just full uh, of 
ballady Jesus songs. And I don't mind ballad. I, well, I mind ballady, but I don't mind Jesus songs. But man, that album was just poorly written. Great guitar oh. solos. I'll st- I'll give it. Oh, that. and that Bon Jovi Runaway song. Oh, it's so so no, bad. No, no, it's, it's but Wasp to me, dude. They they tapped out uh, at Headless Headless Children. I do appreciate some of Crimson Idol. I'm not gonna lie. There's like two three tracks I like on there, but that's about it. I like the song off that industrial album. You fucking suck. Oh, oh, oh no, I, I I love Kill Fuck Die. I didn't I like it, but I like uh, You Fucking Suck. Is that the name of the song? Or You? Yeah. That's a yeah, good song. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Damnation but, Angels off the horrible Hal Dorado is a good song. Yeah, yeah, but goddamn, you know, again, goes back to the grouchy old man to me. Fuck, I like more Wasp songs than I like fucking Guns N' Roses songs. And and Wasp can't even tour the states. <laughs> I like uh, I like of course, dude. I don't think I don't think Appetite's as good as the first Wasp album, and I love Appetite, but the first uh, Wasp album is great from beginning to end. Ah, uh, there's a couple patchy songs on Appetite for me. For me, yeah. think yeah. about you. Anything goes. Uh, uh, see, I love both of those. You want to talk about a patchy song? I'm talking about fucking Paradise City. Ugh. No, I, I uh, love that song. It's just too burnt uh, out, but I love that song. Ugh. All right. Well, you know, yeah, I don't know. Have... This is oh. a true. This is a true story, and my friend even brings this up to this day. When he bought Appetite for Destruction on cassette, and he and he showed me it, I was like, "Oh my god!" I saw that band in a club two years ago, before right. the album came out, and we he we listened to it, and you can ask him. And I, dude, he he even brings this up to me to this day. When Paradise City came on and the song ended, you know, we were gonna flip the tape over. I said, "I go, dude." That song right there would be a fucking classic rock staple if this album, if this shit would ever fucking see the light of day of stardom. Because I didn't think that shit was ever going to become big. But I said, Paradise City is a song that would be like as big as Stairway to Heaven and shit like that. Because it's so killer classic rock. I called it, dude. I called it. I just never thought it would become that. Right. But keep going. Uh, all right. One last story because we only needed a half hour for this show. Uh, here's something I saw you comment on, and I didn't really read up into it, but there's not a lot of other stories. What's this shit about the, uh, sexual harassment shit on Gene Simmons? Talk to me about this one. Oh, man. This is Gene Simmons' wet dream come true. See, here's the thing. We know Gene Simmons. You know him, I know him. You know what a goofball he is, and how he says inappropriate shit sometimes to chick interviewers. Right. You know, you know it, how it is. It's Gene Simmons just being Gene Simmons. It's with a wink. He's not really hitting on him. And recently, you know that time he got banned from Fox? Right. One of the things he did, and it was off camera, but they said he did, he, he pointed at his crotch and he said to the chicks, this is the fun factory. Go ahead, sue me. Gene Simmons wants somebody to sue him so he can counter sue. Gene Simmons is going to clean up on this bitch. He probably said something goofy like he usually does. It wasn't sexual harassment at all. Because you know Gene Simmons, he doesn't sexually harass. He just doesn't. I'll give you an example. In the Sunrise Musical Theater, dude, I was so close to the stage during Animal Eyes. He literally pointed at this young girl that was with her boyfriend. And he didn't say this to the girl. He He told the actual boyfriend, how old is she? He was actually saying that. How old is she? Because he wanted a banger. And he was asking the fucking boyfriend. 
You know, he just does these inappropriate things that you know you can't take serious. And I know he did that. And Gene Simmons even came out and said, I'm going to be cleared of all uh, charges and I'm going to countersue. He's going to clean up. Mark my words. Gene Simmons is, everybody's like, ah, Gene. Gene's is like, ah, yeah, sue me. Sue me so I can make more fucking money, you know? I need an extra heater on my 12 fucking jacuzzis. Yeah. Well, poor, poor Gene Simmons. I feel bad for him because after he got banned from Fox News, uh, Justin Childers unfriended him on Facebook. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. All right. Well. Oh, one uh, more story. One more story. Here. All right. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but man, I saw this and I was horrified how terrible it was. Did you see the video for White Snake Burn? No, I have not watched it yet. Oh my god! Number one, the band sucks on it. I don't think Holstrom or uh, what's his face, West, what's his name, um, the guy Red from Beach. Winger, Red Beach, who's a great yeah, guitar Red... player. Both of them are great. Yeah. Terrible, and 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 David Coverdale sounds so bad, and you can even tell it's like patched up in the studio. And it's check this, check out how weird this is. It's a live album, right? right. The video is not a, a, from a live performance. It's them like with you know the b- blue screen behind them with a lot of fire, and the, the video's cool looking, but the performance is shit poor, dude. I watched yeah. that and I was like, dude, I'm staying away from this shit. That's that's what I want to bring up. That's my news. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I saw it and I, I was hesitant to watch it, and uh, but now now I gotta watch it and see how bad it is. Dude, wait till you hear how bad Coverdale sounds on it. It's like, it's sad, dude. It's like, wow, this is sad. I'm, yeah, and for I'm such not a great singer. Like, yeah, dude, I'll never forget when I saw the Slip of the Tongue Tour. I saw the, the Whitesnake album with Vivian Campbell. But the yeah. Slip of the Tongue Tour, which was a, a, a mediocre album at best. I saw that with Steve Vai. Yeah. yeah, dude, what a voice on him that night. Holy fuck, that was one of the greatest vocal performances I ever saw in my life was covered out the Miami Arena. And now he's just, oh, he's so bad. It's so bad. He's done. He's fried. You know, and I mean, not not at Paul Stanley level, but pretty close. You know, it's, right. it's really bad. All righty. Well, on that note, what do you say uh, we hit up nitroglycerin and talk about Iron Maiden? Let's do it. She wants penetration. 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 Who are you? I am number one. Who's number two? I'm drunk as shit. I'm on beer number eight. You are number eight. I am a number. I am not a free man. Wow. Hey, let's 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 toast that. The worst intro ever so far. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Well, the only bad intro. Yeah. Fuck it, let's yeah. keep that in, shall we? Whatever, I'm freaking. Alright, I am Dr. Fuck, and with me is... Oh, yeah! The that, actual yeah. alcohol... That's right, uh, thank you. Wildly, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't it boring saying it all constantly in, right? No, I like, I like it better when you say it. I feel more important. But anyway, guess who else is with us? Uh, yeah, the other guy. Whoa, uh, it's the one and only Nitroglycerin! Yes, what Michael Glenn Myers back. What is up, my gentleman? Awesome, dude. I love how you can do the podcast while holding on to those hairy fucking balls of Eddie. They're actually Bruce's, I think. 
Oh, you're a Bruce fan, huh? Oh, oh that, no. That's how actually, he hits those high notes. No, it's actually Steve. Steve's is my main my main guy in that band. Oh, Adolf. Adolf Harris. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Yannick Gears guy myself. I'm, okay. more, I'm more into Thundersticks. Thundersticks. Uh, <laughs> All right, Ralph. What are we talking about this week? 1982, and I don't even have to remember that one because I always get years mixed up. I know this one was 1982, and I got a funny story of when I first heard this album. But I'll let you guys. I'll let Nitro Glisten go first. When's the first time you discovered Number of the Beast? Well, it wasn't 1982, because that's when I was born, but, oh, uh, man. yeah. God damn, yeah, you're yeah. old. So I was marked with this album, but this was actually in the Maiden albums I got. I think it was probably my third one. I started off with a Live After Death to kind of get a crossover oh, of the catalog. <laughs> and then I got Peace of Mind, which I liked, but I think that took a little bit more getting into, because there's a slight difference in where Maiden went songwriting-wise, and then I got Number of the Beast, which is one you, I got right away because it was so... Not that I didn't get peace of mind, but just you put Number of the Beast on, it hits you hard, it hits you fast, and, I mean, it's got some all-time classics on here. It's got some that you're like, meh, but I just remember the first time I got that album, just reading the sleeve, uh, just totally enthralled, so uh, good times, good memories for sure. Yeah. How about you, Ian? Uh, I probably heard this for the first time, I would say, 87, 88. Uh, came on board uh, with Somewhere in Time. Absolutely loved that. And then I think probably the next one I got was uh, Power Slave, I want to say. And then uh, a friend of mine's like, oh, you're listening to Maiden now. Which, I mean, Maiden was when I, I, I feel that I officially started listening to heavy metal. You know, because I came on with, you know, Kiss, Cinderella, the cock rock at the time. You know, and I remember, you know, friends, you know, even saying like, oh, God, you're listening to metal now. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not like I'm listening to Iron Maiden, you know. That's devil shit. You know, because I was scared of him. I told the story before about yeah, a kid yeah, with no, the Yeah, no, just talk about when you found out Number of the Beast. Don't give us that history. But uh, <laughs> We've heard that history. Yeah, Number number of the Beast was a friend of mine, Paul Turngren, turned me on to this one. Paul Turngren? Uh, Turngren. Turngren. Paul Turngren. Turngren. That's what Paul I thought you Turngren. said, too. Turngren? Who? No, Turngren. Sisnak? Mm. Yes. And, uh, and he was very excited when I started getting into metal because... You know, he was kind of laughing at the shit I was listening to. He's like, okay, now you're ready for this. I mean, and this is the guy who turned me on to this album, uh, Saxon, uh, Wheels of Steel, you know, shit like that. Uh, and and I remember listening to this for the first time. I was like, wow, this is, this is way different than uh, Somewhere in Time, but I really dig it. Um, and, uh, man, I was just really like, yeah, now I'm getting into metal. And... Uh, Absolutely, I, I love the album. Yeah, you'd be surprised where I rank it, but I I do love the album. But I feel, uh, unfortunately, there's a there's an overkill factor with this. That the same way there's an overkill factor with Back in Black. Uh, you, you know, I, I I love these albums, but there's some songs that are so overplayed. I think it kind of hampers uh, how far I go back and revisit the album. 
but I, th- I think there's some undeniable classics, and I, I, I believe that there's some songs that I like that most people don't, uh, so it should be an interesting review. How about you, Ralph? Uh, mine's very interesting. I was in school, and my friend Ingo Shapiro showed up in school with Number of the Beast, the vinyl, and I didn't even know it was out. This is like... Yeah, oh. we know this story. No, you Move don't. it along. No, you don't. I'm just kidding. I never told this one. I was there. Uh, yeah, you were there. You were. I remember. I was banging your mom at the time. She was pregnant. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, so um, I, I told her name them nitroglycerin. She didn't. So, anyway, son. What I was getting at um, when uh, when uh, Ingo came to school with the number of the beast album, I wanted to hear it so bad that we skipped school. And we went to his house. We listened to it. I loved it. And then we went to Fountain Blue at the arcade and played video games. And then we went into the pool. And Fountain Blue has this really cool pool with a cave that you can go in. And I spent my day skip school. Because of Number of the Beast, I skipped school. And How old were you in 1982? In 1982, I was 17. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was born in 65. Now, did you know... Before this album came out, did you know that there was a new singer? I think I did. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I did. Because I don't okay. recall going, what? A new singer? I, I don't remember that. So I think I might have read it. Yeah, yeah. well, I was going to say, because back then, I mean, there was no, you know, the only way you could find out is through Hard Rock Magazine. Well, I used to I used to get Kerrang! The Imports. Oh, wow. You used to get the Imports back then, even. Yeah, even back then at oh, Open Book oh, Records. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Starting in, in, in that year, 82, is when I started to get into Van Allen, Merciful Fate, and all that stuff that at Open Book Records. Yeah, 82. Nice. Uh, 82, 83. Um, and, but, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking it might have been in a Kerrang! Magazine, but I don't remember. But I do know I wasn't like, what? A new singer, you know? Um, but, um... Yeah, you know, at the time, like, Maiden was, like, one of the... I mean, they were definitely my bucket list band. After I saw Judas Priest, I said, all right, now I want to see Iron Maiden. But Iron Maiden... And when I went to go see Judas Priest, Judas Priest was touring with Iron Maiden, a number of the Beast uh, Scream for Vengeance store. We go to the show, and I noticed Uriah Heep shirts. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what the fuck? Where the fuck's the Maiden shirts? Because I wanted to buy a Maiden shirt. Then I walk in, and I had really good seats. I was like maybe second row, third row for Priest. And I looked around, and there was a guy in the balcony with a big Iron Maiden banner. And I was like, yeah, dude, I guess they are playing. And then Uriah Heep came out, and we were all disappointed. But then Priest came out, and everything was forgiven. Um, That's funny, because back then you didn't have... Like, the internet, you'd know right away, like, who was opening up what show. Like, when I saw Alice Cooper for the first time, I had read that Megadeth was the opening band. And I was like, oh, God, this is some noise shit. Dad, you're going to hate this. But then when we got there, Tesla had taken over. But I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, Tesla was the first hard rock band I saw open up for, for Cooper. But you didn't know them because when you read the shit in the magazines, it was always months behind. You know, so I can totally see what Ralph's saying. Like, you think you're seeing one band, but then there's a change and you have no idea, you know, because yeah, you... it was it was a, a big ass bummer. Like, I remember going to see Judas Priest, uh, Defender of the Faith, same band. And the opening act then was Great White. And I love that first Great White album. So I was very excited to see that when I got there it was 
um, oh, what's the name of that fucking band? Was it was it Dokken? No, it was um, God damn it, uh, they had the album Vices. Um, oh, Kickaxe. Kickaxe, yeah, Kickaxe. Uh, and I was disappointed. I was like, fuck, I wanted to see Great White, and then I did get to see Great White later. Uh, when they sucked and they didn't play anything off the first album except for Down on Your Knees. Well, what what did you think of Uriah Heap? Because that was a weird era for Uriah Heap. They kind of was went good. Like AOR. I don't like that album and Booba Gog. That was the uh, album uh, they were touring. Uh, Boogalog, yeah. I like some songs, but it's yeah, it's a bit too AR. And you know what? I'm not even a Uriah Heap fan because I tried. I actually saw uh, Magician's Birthday, the one everybody talks about. Yeah. And used and I bought it and I was like, dude, I can't get into this. But um, I will say a very weird, um, a weird thing about seeing Uriah Heep that night was Bob I, Daisley. Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake was in the band, right? right? And I that's where I saw Randy Rhodes with Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge. So I ended up seeing, you know, the the other half of Blizzard of Oz on the same fucking stage, just a year after that too, you know, which wow. is weird. And that I was aware of because I did own a Booba God because. That album cover was so cool that I oh, took a yeah. chance on it, and I was like, oh. "It was way better than the album." <laughs> yeah, and then I flipped it over, and I was like, "Oh, look, it's Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley on here." So uh, let's get into the album. All right. Um, Nitroglycerin. Uh, you take the first track. So I'm going to take Invaders, huh? So yes. to me, uh, I actually like the song Invaders. I know some people think it's kind of a weak song. Hello. But I will say, like, Steve's bass work, uh, back to a point I think you made, Ralph, when you talked about Killers, really all over the place, but really in the pocket as well. Killers uh, and the first album. Yeah, I actually feel like Invaders is a song that could have went on Killers. It Definitely. has a very... What's that? Definitely. It has the same aggression and stuff, you know? It has the same vibe. It kind of reminds, not, I mean, it sounds different, but it kind of has like a purgatory vibe the way that Steve wrote the bass parts and how the guitar parts go over it. The thing that drags it down is it's the chorus is kind of weak, but I do love that bass line underneath Bruce Invader's uh, scream there. But I overall, I do really like the song. I like Clive's drumming on it. I like the guitar work. It just, it's just, I think the lyrics are a little flat and the chorus kind of falls a little flat for me so you know i still think it's a really good song but not the best main opener especially what they would go on to do after this yeah ian um well this is one of the songs that a lot of people bitch about this one hello i I don't get it at all i fucking love this song the only thing i can see like people complain about and at at first it kind of turned me off but but now I love it. It's the way he says invaders. Yeah, you know it, you know. But other than that, I, I love it. And, and like you said, Nitro uh, Glycerin, uh, this shit totally sounds like Paul Diano fucking made the beat. I mean, just the, the the whole beat, the rhythm of it. I mean, I would love to hear uh, Paul Diano do a version of this. I I really would. But I feel it is a great opener for this album because I can't think of another song on this album that would be an opener because musically, this kind of picks up where Killers left off. I mean, I mean, I love it. It sounds like punky Paul Diano made. Uh, the only thing that took me a while at first was the Invaders. But other than that, 
I'm like, this is fucking killing. Like, why does everybody bitch about it? Because there's a song later that we're gonna get into that everybody lathers its fucking ass that I think fucking sucks. Uh, well, I'm not like sucks, sucks, but like totally should be a fucking B-side. Shouldn't be on the fucking album. Uh, but I love this fucking song. I have no problem with it. And, uh, you know, but it, but it's weird. You know, I, I would love to have been Ralph to hear this. And I, I'll, I'll love to hear him talk about this. Uh, because I came into the band with Bruce Dickinson's The Singer. You know, I went back and, and found the Paul Deano shit. So I, I can't put myself in that position to where it's the first time I've listened with a new singer, you know, to a band that I already love. So I don't know how I would have took it then. But as a guy that came in and knowing Dickinson as the singer, uh, I loved it. it I, to me, it's a very transitional album because there's a lot of elements, I think, musically harken back to the piano era. But then there's a lot of shit that, like, this is the beginning of the Bruce era that I think would be more fully realized in, in, in future albums. But uh, it it makes this a very weird album to me. Uh, I, I love it, but it's very much a, a mixture of the old and the new, which, I mean, how could it not be, being the first one with Bruce? But, uh, you know, when I listen to it, there's a lot of times I think, like, hmm, I could hear Paul sing this, where from the albums on, you know, past this, I never think that. But on this one, I think, like, hmm, what would Paul be like on this? Uh, I love Invaders. To me, the only choice for an opener on this. I absolutely I, love this fucking song. Yeah, I was second that, Ian. I don't think... I mean, what other song would you put first? Like, this one's... A, it's more to the point than some of the other ones. and doesn't right. have, like, a slow build-up or... I mean, yeah, I would agree with you. Where it's not their best opener for this album, though, it's the best song to open the album, I feel. Right, and, and I feel like it pays tribute to the Deano era... And Harkin and Bruce at the same time. I dig it, but uh, but Ralph disagrees. So Ralph, uh, what do you say? I don't like the song, but I will say this: I do remember when I first heard the album when I skipped school. I loved it all, and there's two songs on this album I don't like, and this is definitely one of them. But you know, there, it's a difference than hanging out with your buddies, getting high, skipping school, listening to something to really digest it. You know. So, but I, I could say, you know, one thing I didn't say about when we skipped school. When I heard this album for the first time, I was completely blown away by Bruce Dickinson. I was like, God damn, this guy is you, amazing. You liked it? Okay. That, that, I, was I, loved his, I loved his voice on Number of the Beast. I just thought it was so good. And I still think it's so good. But the thing that bothers me about Invaders is not so much musically. Musically, it's got the same fires of the Anno era. Um... But, you know, now in retrospect, listening to it, what Bruce just doesn't have that gruffiness that can match the power of that intensity of the type of song. Bruce is more Power Slave, Flight of Icarus. That's where, and, and this album, uh, you know, the rest of this album, other than one song, Bruce Dickinson is singing extremely aggressive in the song. I, I know he's doing trying to keep up but for me it just doesn't translate well i know what he's doing and what he's doing is well he's executing it well but for some reason the vibe just doesn't get me you know it's like when i listen to purgatory which i you, you said before the way yep. that vocal 
the vibe of that vocal. It, it's, to me, it mixes better with it. Well, it's a better I, song, <laughs> too. Yeah, I, oh, I, I think he's finding his feet, of course, on this album, where I think by the time they do Peace of Mind, it's his band. You well, know. I'm just judging it by the by the song, not you know. It's like it's like the same excuse with uh, Live After Death fans. Well, it was toward the end of the tour, and Bruce Dickinson's voice is shit. Well, whatever the reason is, I don't like it. I don't care about reasons. Well, you know I, mean? I, I, I don't know. My, my thing with that, like the way you look at Live After Death, is the way I look at Live Tokyo Dome. I mean, I mean, I love that album, and there's parts where Dane hits up bum-ass notes. Oh, yeah, I admit it, but, too. But the feeling and, and the power comes through, yeah. I, I, I think it, and it doesn't for me. You... I don't get nothing out of it. I don't know. I think I think the Live After Death album cover is so badass is that it, it blinds people to that album. It's like, god damn, it's like, that's like probably my second favorite album cover from Iron Man. It's just such a great album cover. You look at that shit, oh, man, this is great. And then you put it on, like, uh, I, yeah, it's I don't still know. great. I, look, let me look at the album cover. That's I, <laughs> I, I listen to that album over and over again, and I'm just, I just find pure fucking metal joy in it. I, never I like the band that, on it. I'm just saying, Bruce Dickinson drags it down. I, and it's never. It's I'm never not alone on this, though. By the way, you know. Oh, I, not, you're, you're I not. remember I was the first one saying this shit, as far as I know, till I started started seeing people sprout out of different places saying Bruce sounds like ass on it. I'm like, thank you. Because when I first started saying it, people think I was fucking insane. I mean, he doesn't sound his best, but I mean, I don't think he sounds terrible. Oh, man. Flight of Icarus, come on. That shit's cringeworthy. In in all defense, fucking Michael W. Howard doesn't like Iron Maiden anyway. Hey, I like that guy. I love that guy. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, this song... And by the way, you know me. I'm not like this, you know, nut swinger of Iron Maiden. I love Iron Maiden. I love... The first two albums. I love this album. I love uh, everything up to Power Slave. But I will say this. I mean, Steve Harris agrees with me, too. He said he's gone on record to say he hates this song and he hates the other one I hate on here. That's just pure coincidence. Believe me. Because those two songs I hated before I saw him say it on one of those hard and heavy video cassettes. He said it on there. I was like, holy shit. That's what I think. And I believe uh, um, 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 Nitroglycerin. Uh, did you read the Bruce Dickinson book? I'm um, halfway through it. You know, it's on audiobook on YouTube. And yeah, I know, but I, I like to read. I was listening to it. Oh, it looks like we got ourselves a reader. Oh, shit. You must be from the north. What hey, are you hey, reading hey. for? That's wow. a great Bill Hicks joke. I know. I, I love, love it. Bill Hicks. What are you I'll reading right for? <laughs> But, uh, well, I'm just saying this now. Ian can miss this. Uh, I, I listened to the audiobook. I didn't finish it. I got all the way up to, I think, Peace of Mind. And Bruce Dickinson brings up that other song I don't like. And he doesn't like it either. I was like, oh, wow. You know, it's like, even Bruce, he didn't say nothing about Invaders. I don't think he did. Well, Steve was right about that. They, I, He didn't like this one, but he definitely didn't like I If I kn- think yeah, I know you what don't have to about. say the name, man. Yeah, I he definitely didn't like that one. I thought it should have been switched out with another song. Which... Yeah, and that's what that's what Bruce said about the bonus track, uh, but uh, which is which we, we should review total clips. But um, yeah, definitely. No, no, D- Steve definitely said Invaders in that videotape. He said Invaders and that other song. 
And um, I was like, fucking A, man. I, you know, uh, but I, man, and dude, believe me, man. Like, all my buddies are like, you're fucking crazy. That other song rules. And most people like Invaders. I know a couple I did. But, uh, but hey, man, I mean, I ain't going to sit here and fucking lie. You know, I just got to say, you know, and, and for a while there, Number of the Beast was my favorite album with Bruce Dickinson. But um, then I heard Power Slave again. Because it used to be Power Slave. Then I said, no, nah, man, Number of the Beast is better. Then I heard Power Slave again. I'm like, oh, no, this is way better than Number of the Beast. So today I listened to Number of the Beast on, on vinyl. When it was done, I said, yeah, Power Slave's their best for a second. Yeah, you know, like Power Slave, I used to put Peace of Mind slightly above Power Slave until like a couple months ago and I really listened to I mean, that album is almost perfect. Yeah. Like, like it, it's a stronger album all the way through. And even the weaker tracks, like The Duelist, which I think is a completely underrated song, fucking rips. I love that song. I love uh, every yeah. song on there. I love every song. Yep. The one that gets the bash the most is Back in the Village. I love that song. That is a ripper. And if you don't like it, you like Poison. Yeah, That's what I, I say. I love Back in the Village. I made a video for that one. Which is hard to do. I used a lot of uh, live after death clips to do Back in the Village where it's actually them not performing the song. with all the Just looking plays. like they are. <laughs> and it looks like they are. Yeah, it was hard to do though. I had to do a lot of back shots of Bruce while he was singing, you know. That's so you could see the, the yeah. lips. <laughs> but then there's parts where I had him singing where it looks like he's singing it, you know. I'll take the next one, which for a while there was my favorite song off this album. But no, uh, it's not. Uh, but I love Children of the Damned. Such an amazing ballady song. Oh, and, and by the way, I, I also disagree with both of you. I think this album would have been great having Number of the Beast open it. Because it's so such a great build-up song. It's very non-Iron Maiden. Because uh, Iron Maiden always had those rip-roaring opening tunes. But then, you know, you've got the Moonchild, which I love Moonchild, by the way. I hate that album, but I love Moonchild. Uh, that's a weird opener. So, Number of the Beast is a really cool... I think that's a great fucking song to open an album with. You know, to your point, when I saw them on the uh, Between... The Brave New World and Dance to Death Tour, the Give Me Ed Tour in 2003. That's how they opened up the show. And it was actually pretty neat. It was pretty cool hearing that song early instead yeah. of just like, you know what you're going to get for encores. That is my one critique of Maiden. Like, generally, when you go see him, it's from the old albums, you get like the same song, which is why I like the Book of Souls Tour so much that they brought this one out that you're about to talk about, which was awesome. Yeah. Again, it's a weird placement, though, to have this song so early in the album because it's, it's kind of ballady. I think it would have fit better, uh, like, later on, maybe uh, second track off the second side instead of run to, put run to the hills here as the second track. But, you know, side two should have been side one. Um, and uh, with omitting one song off side two and put Total Eclipse would have made it fucking so amazing for a first uh Clip. But anyway, um, I love it, man. What do you think of Children of Danny? Are you the I told tonight? It's my favorite song on the fucking album. I absolutely Ooh. love this shit. Um, very, you know, as I was listening to it today, and I listened to it like two and a half times before we did the review, uh, something I never noticed before, and I'm surprised, very Sabbathy. Uh, but then as I was doing some research, uh, Dickinson said that 
he was very inspired by uh, Black Sabbath's Children of the Sea for this one. And it's important to, to note that there's no writing credits uh, from Bruce Dickinson on this album, but that is because of legal issues. Because uh, of some shit with Samson, he wasn't allowed to be credited, but there was three songs in particular that, uh, that he had a big hand in writing. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to find those real quick. Oh, Run to Ch- the Hills. Yeah, yeah. Children of the Dam, The Prisoner, and Run to the Hills yep. are ones he was very involved in, but because of of legal shit, they couldn't put his name on the credits. But uh, man, I've always, always loved this song. And you can totally see that he had a hand writing this because it, it has his stamp all over it. And this is definitely, uh, you know, if Invader sounded you know the Paul Diano era this is the Bruce Dickinson era you know you know this is exhibit A of Bruce Dickinson era is Children of the Damned this is something that yeah you ain't doing this shit with Deanna and I I fucking love Deanna but Deanna Deanna could do Invaders Deanna ain't doing no fucking Children of the Damned exactly no and that's the thing like a lot of people always come up well fucking Ozzy can't do Dio well Dio can't do Ozzy you know, right, right. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Dave can't do Sammy. Sammy can't do Dave. Here's where yeah. I disagree. Where I think this song is definitely better with Bruce, but Paul and I mean Bruce is my favorite Maiden singer. I but people think you either love Bruce or you love Paul. Like you can't love both, which I do. I love both those guys. Paul did a fantastic job with Remember Tomorrow and Strange World. Those songs are pretty chilled down, and it. I was blown away by Paul's vocals because I first got into the Bruce stuff and especially Strange World, I was like I couldn't believe that was the same singer as the guy who did Prowler, to be honest with you. Right, right. No, I no, I mean, Paul can do some great, I mean, fucking uh, Prodigal Son. I mean, he can do some slower temple shit, but he's not hitting the shit, you know, like Children of the Damned. Uh, to me, this I mean, this is Dickinson all over and it used to be for the longest time there was a different song on here that was my favorite and I still love it but it, it, again it's one that's so overplayed not only you know I, I guess you can't say radio but even in a live setting is so overplayed uh, when I think they should give much more attention to a song like this uh, yeah my, my, my favorite one this is the beginning of the Dickinson era, Children of the Dam, favorite song on the album. Ian kind of stole some of my thunder, but definitely this is the song where you can hear where Steve has this uh, new singer in Bruce and is kind of opening up the songwriting a little bit. And Bruce definitely did have a hand in writing this. Uh, Ian brought up the point too that uh, Bruce couldn't put any songwriting credits on here because of his, uh, the previous band, Samson, and the legal issues that he couldn't appear on. Uh, as a credit writer but this song to me see i don't feel it's a weird number two because in the original pressings of the self-titled debut i mean uh remember tomorrow was the second song and I, it kind of yeah oh go but, ahead no i'm sorry i don't mean no no no, no 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 fine but I, um stop kissing my ass um <laughs> uh my point is is that remember tomorrow too it's kind of like why is it so early in the fucking uh, uh, you know but again, I mean, goddamn, can you get any better than Remember Tomorrow? But I'm just saying, placements doesn't really give a shit. It's just nitpicking when you complain about placement if it's a good damn song. 
Yeah. yeah. Can, you, can you get any better than Children of the Dam? Shit. Yeah, I, and and this all. is like a super <laughs> epic song condensed into like four and a half, maybe five minutes at the most. But uh, And I would even argue that the Beast Over Hammersmith version is probably my favorite Bruce's highs are on point. What a great album! Yeah, you and want to talk about a great live album with Maiden with Bruce? There, that's a great one. That, that oh. is where. And the New York City one, I have it on bootleg. Uh, Radio City Music Hall, dude. Bruce, I Bruce Jewel is just fucking phenomenal. That dude, that is my live after death. And you know what though? He kills Drifter, which is a song I only could hear Paul doing. And, and I'm not saying it's better than Paul, but on that recording, I love the way he did Drifter. And uh, that's one of, you know, I know a lot. Some be, that's a kind of a sticking point too. Some people love that song, don't like that song. I love Drifter at the end of uh, Killers there. But uh, back to Children of Damn, like this song's got everything you want. It's got this where the you know the staple harmony guitar part in the middle where bruce just lets it go vocally uh, this is it's it's not my favorite it's not the best song but it's like 1a 1b this is probably my second favorite song of the album my, and it's mine, not by much mine definitely as well all right nitro glisten why don't you take the next one the infamous prisoner uh this song is so good it's got the bbc intro it's got the groove, the pocket. Clyde Burr dominates on this song, especially that middle section when he's got that hi-hat to the floor tom work. Love it. The lyrics are great. The Steve's bass is so good in the chorus when he's going high uh, with, the, with the guitars and Bruce's vocals. Uh, this is a real special song for me. This is one of the songs when I first heard it blew, kind of blew my mind. And that, and that riff is so fast. Like, Maiden doesn't get enough credit for being like fast rhythm players it's like they are but like people will look at james hetfield like a john schaefer but dave and adrian were so tight back i mean i mean they're still tight but they're a little bit older now but this song is so tight rhythmically ah it's nearly a perfect song fucking love it what about you guys um well we were oh you're talking about the prisoner yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah, Prisoner's awesome. Um, iconic uh, intro with the with the drums. Um, yeah, it's a great fucking song. Um, about the show, the Prisoner. About uh, isn't the Prisoner um, that that Harrison Ford movie too? No, he, no, the Fugitive. The fugitive. Uh, okay. Which which they did a song about on Fear of the Dark. I'm pretty right. sure. Right. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't know that shit, but um, yeah, man, I love this song. This song is fucking awesome. Um, love the love the bass on this tune. See, Steve still had a bit of fretwork going on on this album. I mean, they didn't totally get off the 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 first two albums. You know, it shows like sporadically on this album. Other than Invaders, it's all over it. But this one harkens back to I love. Steve's bass work on here, and uh, yeah, I love the way it starts with a da na 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 na, you know, it's got that great vibe, and then it goes, you know, that's rapid fire shit that's awesome, but it's rapid fire shit like Ace is High, not Purgatory, you know what I mean? It's Bruce Dickinson made it, 
which I love Bruce Dickinson made in when it sounds like this. Oh, Prisoner, dude. That, that's fucking classic shit. And then this shit's got fucking Adrian Smith written all over it. All fucking over it. Um... Uh, yeah, based on the 60s uh, TV show, Patrick McGowan, you know, they play this shit at the intro. What I didn't know is is this is the first of two songs that was based on the Prisoner TV series. I had no idea that Back in the Village. Yep. Yeah, uh, that yeah, I yeah. Knew. yeah, I knew that. I did, I did not know that. Another song I fucking love. But, I mean, as far as the Prisoner, man, fucking amazing. And this is, uh, you know, the beginning of the Adrian Smith influence in Maine. Like, he's really shown his shit here. Which I think, as as Adrian Smith would go on, uh, would hamper the band. I, I'm not a big fan, generally, of the Adrian Smith songs. Yeah. I love his guitar playing. I love his guitar playing. But when you talk about songwriting credits, when I see an Adrian Smith song, I'm always kind of like, all right, Alright, here's the Danger Danger song on the fucking album. And and you see that when he put out that ASAP horrible fucking crap he put out. Which I, I've, I've seen a lot of like Maiden, you know, nut swingers fucking, oh, it's a great app. That shit's horrible. I don't like it. That and shit's horrible. I'm the that, definitive Maiden right. nut swinger voice. I don't right, like yeah, it. Yeah, and that shit, but you can see like he definitely wants to go in a poppier direction. Uh... But I, I still I love his guitar playing, but it's just when his writing comes into it, you always know it's going to be the fucking you know a little light in the fucking loafers as far as the you know the Maiden canon. Uh, but this song though, I you know I mean there's no fucking trash. Anybody who says this song sucks sucks. You know it, it, it's fucking amazing. It, it, it's Maiden through and through. But you do see the genesis of of the Adrian Smith writing credit. I mean, there's just something about it that's a little bit lighter, but goddamn, you got fucking Clive Burr there to fucking, you know, ground it, you know, with that great fucking drum beat. You know, and Clive Burr, uh, it took me a long time to appreciate how awesome he was, because you know, when you change a singer, you hear it right away. You know, in the voice, or, or in the lyrics, that they write the lyrics. I think it's easier to to notice. Uh, but just like when I came in, Nico was the drummer, and I just always thought as Nico was the drummer, and and I just like Clyde Burr. I'm like, okay, that's Paul Diano guy. And a lot of times I even forgot that he even played on Number of the Beast. I just always think Nico, Nico. But when I really got into Maiden, man, and I started listening to fucking you know Clive's drumming, I was like, wow. Now I I, I totally get it, and I see when you know Bruce made that comment about. He, he said Clive was the best drummer that May never had, and he and he said he goes I mean nothing against Nico he goes Nico probably technically is a better drummer, but Clive just had this feel that you can't teach you know it's just it's a natural instinct you know. I'll reserve my judgment if Nico is better technically if I ever hear him do Genius Con, because that right there is something that uh, is just dude that technically is fucking amazing. What he does on Gendrick's Con, if you listen, uh, I owned a guy once on uh, the Metal Sludge Board way back in the day that was slamming Clyde Burr, saying, dude, Clyde Burr can't do what Nico did. And I put a clip, I put a, a link. I go, listen to this. And he listened to it and he goes, holy fuck, dude. That guy's better than Nico. I had been schooled. He's like, thank you. I, did, I never knew that song. I was like, 
yeah, you know, your typical Bruce fan that's just, you know, another thing I got to bring up, and this is something that really people need to understand. The people that say Iron Maiden would have never been successful with Deano, that Dickinson is what made them successful. Number one, you weren't around back then. They were huge. And who was the first band to get on the charts uh, with Maiden? Paul Deano. On top of the pops, Paul Deano. First headline tour, Paul Deano uh, in Europe. Um, you know, they, they, they achieved so much with Paul Deano that it's kind of like the Sammy Hagar thing. Bruce Dickinson walked into a band that was on the rise. So when he walked into it and they, and what they did with the music, they homogenized it where it was a little more accessible. You know, it made it easier for them to be big. But I think with Paul Deano, they would have stayed, remained big. And, you know, only if Paul Deano would have kept his shit together. Because obviously the guy did it, you know. He was a mess. But if he was like a Bruce Dickinson, like a health nut and shit like that. Because Paul Deano, believe it or not, technically, and I, and, I, and I read this, he has the same type of octave range that Bruce Dickinson has. He can hit all the notes Bruce Dickinson could. And a lot of people don't see that. A lot of people just, you know, they'll listen to Ratchild or some shit like that and just like, no, it's Deano, you know, because oh. I'm telling you, with Deano... Iron Maiden was becoming huge. And, yeah, with, and, and remember, with Dickinson, they weren't a headline act till Peace of Mind. I mean, they were a headline act in Europe just like Deano. During Killers, Deano, they were already headlining. They were the number one band in the British, of, uh, new wave of British heavy metal movement. They were above everybody, above Saxon. Saxon was like number two. But they were the most popular band out of them. Believe me, with Deano, they were. If Deano would have been a health nut and would have taken care of his voice and everything like that, they would have been just as big. Even if they did do like uh, more straightforward stuff, but if they would have just stayed how they were, I can't see them not be as huge as Metallica was. You know, during the '80s, if they just stayed that route, they could have kept up with any fucking thrash band. Period. That's my thing. That's my opinion, and I think my my opinion's right because seriously. You know, you need you needed to be there, dude. Iron Maiden was like if you were into metal, Iron Maiden was the band. You know, they were just like Metallica was the band uh, by Rider Light and the Master of Puppets. Iron Maiden was that, but people weren't around, and they think, oh, they would have never became huge with uh, with Dickinson because look, I mean, Deanna, because look at Dickinson's voice compared to uh, Deanna. Well, yeah. Well, here's an example for you. Look at the uh, Ozzy's voice compared to Dio's. Dio has a much better voice. Did, uh, did you know? Imagine if Dio joined Sabbath during Master of Reality. People would have said, "Oh, they never would have been big with Ozzy." You know, Dio came in and made them huge with Master of Reality. No, dude, Black Sabbath was huge. I mean, huge with Ozzy, and they kept that same formula that Maiden had, like the. I'm telling you, man, people are clueless when it comes to this shit. Would it have been bigger than Bruce Dickinson? That I can't say. But I would have said this. I'll say this. Dickinson did not, is not the reason that Iron Maiden became huge. They became huge because of Steve Harris. That's what I was about Period. to say. The songs. The songs. Period. And Period. I think, I think Brewski, you know, and Bruce is a good songwriter, too. I think that helped having him, them and Adrian in the band kind of gave Maiden a little bit more diversity in the sound, like for, I guess, a more mass appeal, but I think Maiden would have been really big with Paul Still. 
the thing with Paul, like you said, like he was just a mess, couldn't keep himself together. Really. But again, you want to talk about diversity? I don't think Iron Maiden's ever been more diverse than Prodigal Son. That's true. Uh, That's the most diverse song they've ever done. Ever. Journeyman, Journeyman's pretty diverse too. It's all acoustic, pretty much. I mean, I'm not saying you would like that song, but still, Journeyman's a pretty. But that was way later, though. I mean, it was obviously on Dance to Death, so. I mean, Prodigal Son is a goddamn masterpiece, and it's not, it's not Maiden. It's very. I mean, they never. I, I gotta listen to Journeys. Uh, because to me, I mean, when I think of Iron Maiden changing with Bruce, I think of Wasted Love, you know? I don't think of, you know, and it's still like, you know, it's very Iron Maiden, you know? But, dude, Prodigal Son's nothing like Iron Maiden. The, the reason why a lot of people think they, you know, they, get, they can get more diverse with Bruce is because those first two Iron Maiden albums, they didn't really get diverse except for one song. But can you imagine if they would have did more Prodigal Son type shit later on, you know? That's oh just, yeah, that's just how I feel. You know, I well, feel like I think I think Diano gets a bum rap. The Diano era gets a bum rap from a lot of Bruce fans. I think that you know they really don't really look into it. Even that guy I was telling you about that I think that is a bigger Iron Maiden fan than yours. Because to me, the biggest Iron Maiden fans are the ones that like Bruce more than Diano. Those because those are the most closed-minded motherfuckers. You know, I mean, not Bruce more than Deanna. They like Bruce and not Deanna. Those to me are. I think the. I mean, I don't think Deanna's. He sometimes can come across as bitter, which I get. Uh, But I mean, I loved what he did on those first two albums. I really do. I think he was fantastic for them at that time. Amazing. He was just fucking amazing. And uh, I've seen him. I saw him live in 2010, and dude, he hit some notes. He did Charlotte the Hard. It's so good. So, and that's another thing. What he does in the middle section of Charlotte Dollar, when it's all standing there. I mean, that's some fucking great, great singing, man. Amazing singing. It's like, totally. how can you discount that and just say he's like a, a you know, a one trick pony? Deanna was very diverse and very underrated for what he was. Because, you know, he didn't look, you know, he didn't have the long, long hair and, and he was more of a punter than, you know, a fencer. You know, I, I think that. Deano gets a big bum rap, but it does. Deano look like Tommy Lee. Everybody'd love him. Well, I think his Thank personality you. didn't help things too. Like after Maiden, I think that's where people like. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I had the biggest argument with this guy the other day. Oh my God, you want to talk about the most retarded argument I ever had online was about Deano because somebody asked, and I somebody asked the question, who's better, Iron Maiden or Saxon? And I said, well. I think Iron Maiden did their best stuff up to Power Slave, so I'll take all that over Saxon, but everything after Power Slave, I'll take Saxon, you know, especially the later stuff. This one guy started arguing with me, saying, yeah, you're the type of person that won't like Back in Black because it sold a lot. I was like, motherfucker, I like Thriller. What the fuck are you talking about, you know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it just went on and on. This guy was a complete idiot, and but... He's another guy. Oh, you like... Because I said I like the first two albums the best. This guy totally attacked me. Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. I was like, dude, number one, if you think the first two Iron Maiden albums are not as good as the later stuff, I'm cool with that. I'm not going to say you're wrong. You know, I hey, man, there's... Some people like liver, some people don't. Some people listen to Fear the Dark and say, fuck, man, Jews Be My Name's awesome, but I can't stand fucking uh, sanctuary you know 
It's like, dude, I understand. That's that's your thing. But don't call me wrong, motherfucker. You know, it's I'm not wrong. I definitely am not wrong. But neither is the guy that likes Judas B. My name. We're all right. You know, everybody's right. I know Ian doesn't agree with that, but it's that's how I feel. I'll take the next one. Uh, Charlotte the Heart at Part 2, 22 Arcacia Avenue. Fucking A, man. You want to talk about a fucking amazing song. And I only seen them do this once on the Peace of Mind tour. Never saw them do this again. What a fucking song. And again, like that great buildup. Just that intro alone is fucking amazing. If you're feeling down, depressed, and lonely. That's it, that buildup. I know a place where we can go. Go. So good. Go. Yeah, yeah. Everything about the song. And it's a great, great follow-up to Charlotte the Harlot. Story-wise, it keeps up with the the vibe, you know. It's just, you know, it was uh, it was just an amazing, it's an amazing song. That should be more on the set list. Uh, I love when they get, you know, you know. That my, my only complaint of Children of the Damned is, you know, I would welcome that song to be longer. You know, it's such an epic tune that it's kind of like... Wow, if you added more fucking fire on that song, this one, you don't have to add anything. It's long. What is it, six minutes long or so? Yeah, six yeah, minutes and 34 seconds. And it's got a... And, and it just keeps you interested. It grips you, you know? And uh, I absolutely love 22 Arcacia Avenue. What do you think of Nitro Closer? Same. This was, like, one of the... Like, this whole album was killer. When I remember... I can still vividly remember listening to this album for the first time. And when that riff comes through... This song grabs you by the balls right away. Uh, Bruce's vocals are fantastic. I, I agree. In like back to my point about showing damn, like, that was like a kind of like a condensed epic song. But this song is six minutes, but doesn't it's long, but it doesn't feel that long. Uh, the outro solo, like that whole solo section with Adrian Smith, is phenomenal. And see, and I would kind of disagree with Ian a little bit, where I looked forward to the Adrian. Uh, songs it's i actually i, I like when <laughs> i mean i like when he wrote with steve which he doesn't do a lot it was mostly him and bruce and steve by himself or steve and then dave murray would throw him a lick here and there or whatever but yeah, uh you know what steve likes to share nothing uh i mean he shares the stage but barely no yeah. that 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 uh that's a well-documented thing yeah i was watching that the other monitors. day <laughs> where did i see that the other day it was on uh, the Bru- early early years DVD. yeah yeah bruce was like he put the monitors in a way and then he got a long mic stand because steve tried to get center stage all the time you, know? you could see it on the rainbow uh paul is like to the like if you're looking at the stage to the left of the drum riser he's not like dead center yeah. steve is uh yeah, steve show man steve show but he's I mean, a great performer too. I love Steve's performance. He's a great performer. I mean, he's a great songwriter. Like I give that guy a lot of credit. I mean, he kind of gets the same shit that um, John Schaefer gets as being like a dictator of the band. But I mean, it's kind of their vision. But I mean, back to the song. This song is. Uh, I mean, this is a top mating classic. I saw them do this on the early uh, years tour when they were. That was on the Ozfest where, you know, they had that incident in san bernardino with uh, sharon and her cronies but uh what a killer tour that was just to hear stuff from the first four main albums this song is like this was one that really grabbed me right away and 
I think it's even better than Charlotte the Harlot. I know that might be sacrilege oh. to probably you guys. But yeah, I'm not saying is. I don't like that song. I mean, that song's amazing, but this song has just so much more to it. Maybe that's why there's a lot more going on musically. Uh, but, I mean, I love this song. Love both well, of them. Well, uh, you were talking about diversity. Charlotte the Harlot is more diverse than this song. Way more. It is. Yeah. It is. I just feel like this has, like, a little bit more, like, the song structure, it's got a little bit more going on. Well, it, it speaks to you more, is, uh... What you, what you mean? Yeah, I'm wrong. That's fine. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. If you yeah, think that wrong. way. He's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I was telling you earlier. Ian doesn't agree with me on certain things like that. I don't think you're wrong, but, you know, I mean, I love. I you know, To me, what sells Charlotte the Harder to me is that middle section. I mean, the rest of it's oh. amazing. Oh, but the that break. middle section. Yeah. That's Paul's best vocal performance in my uh, opinion. Thank so you. If you were to take I, that I, middle I, section I, out and just made a soul section, would. 22 Keisha Avenue be better than Charlotte the Harlot then? If that I, don't th- I, don't th- I don't think better. I can't say. I can't. I'd have to hear it. But I can tell you this: it'd be fucking awesome if they did do something like that. It'd be nice, you know. I would oh, love yeah. to hear, you know, kind of like what Bruce does in Children of the Dam when he does, you know, when she's walking like a bad man. If he had lived, he would have crucified us all. Best part of the song, right there. That little section. Best part of the goddamn song. And it's the mellow part. So if they would have thrown a little middle uh, mellow section mm-hmm. in that song, yeah, I would have welcomed it. But you know, that's you know, I mean, we're talking about something that doesn't exist. So I can't tell you if it's yeah. be- it would be better than. Anyway, what do you think of Twenty Two there, Ian? Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I mean, God damn it, everybody knows the best Charlotte song is Charlotte the Harlot. No, it's not. You're it's such a you. hipster. You're such a uh, hipster. Uh, oh it's no, no, I, you. I, I'm a realist. I, I live in the real fucking world. I, I love this song. It's great. Charlotte the Harlot fucking kills this song. I, I just like Charlotte better. But, I mean, a, amazing song. And, God, what I'd love to hear, what I'd love to hear this song live. Unfortunately, I've only seen, uh, what, Fear the Dark Tour and, and uh, fucking Final Frontier. But uh, 22 Acacia Avenue, I mean, it's, it's classic. I, I love it. I mean... You know, it's just unfairly, you're always going to think the Charlotte, you know, trilogy, which to me is, is, there's only two songs, because I don't even count that piece of crap that's on the fucking uh, Fear of the Dark album. I'm like, oh, God, no really? No Prayer. Yeah. Or, is it? Is it on No Prayer? Yeah. Hooks What's the Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Wait, are you talking about From Here to Eternity, which also mentions Charlotte? Is that what you're yeah, talking Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other one. That's the trilogy. Is, is, yeah, is, I mean. Yeah. Oh, come on. That song's fucking terrible. That song's fucking terrible. Ooh, very it's, bad. But, uh, no, I, I, I love 22 Acacia Avenue. A fuck, fucking great one. And, and play that shit fucking live instead of whatever fucking, you know. In Fear pi- the Dark. Yeah. In, oh, God. Oh, that song gets on my fucking nerves. I like that song, but goddamn, stop playing it. But what I'm saying is, you know why they like it? Because it has that sing-along thing where th- these yeah. fucking idiots who think soccer's a fucking sport do the, <laughs> oh, 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 You know, and they do the same thing through Fear the Dark. You know, these fucking soccer fucking idiots. Jesus Christ. If you, if you can kick, you're a bitch. Damn, play football, get get fucking brain damaged like a man. Take yeah, that, Bruce Lee. You know? Get that CTE. Yeah, exactly. Like a real man. E- exactly. You know, you don't kick somebody and go, oh, sorry, governor. You know? Like a man. Oh, oh, I kicked you in the knickers. 
Well, we'll flip this motherfucker over, and then we get to the title track. Nitroglycerin, what do you think of Number of the Beast? Number of the Beast is one of the most quintessential heavy metal songs ever written. It's got everything you want. It's got a spooky intro. It's got the mention of Satan in it. It's fast. It's got guitar harmonies. It's got high vocals. It's got a ripping bass line. Number of the Beast is one of those songs like I would put up with Master of Puppets or, you know, uh, just Talk anything. Dirty Talk Dirty Up. Uh, Cry Tough is one of those songs that will just, if you were like, this is what heavy metal is, this is that song. It's got uh, Rasmataz. You know, I listened to this episode, actually, when Ralph was saying we were going to do it today. I listened to it three times at work, and this is, like, you, Ian, I don't normally come back to this album just because like you can hear these songs on any live recording right. or you hear you hear them a lot but when i just got myself in the mindset of like just listening to it and not be like okay this is a burnt out song for me this album is fucking killer even now like if i if i just listen to it for what it is it took me back to the first time i heard these songs number of the beasts i mean is such a great song uh you gotta love us americans for thinking the band was satanic and instead of burning records we hit him with a hammer so we wouldn't be possessed by the fumes hey I, uh justin children's not uh, here to defend himself childers you mean that guy Yo, he puts he, the chill in child he definitely hit this out with a hammer because he didn't yeah. want to get that devil on him but uh i don't know what else to say i mean this is an amazing song one of steve's best songs creative songs for sure lyrically uh, it references the Omen and Tam O'Shanter, this English poem about a guy who gets fucked up like Ian and just hey. run, <laughs> wanders through the woods and stumbles upon a satanic ceremony. So it's uh, it's a uh, classic. Go, go back to this Tam because uh, I'm going to sue somebody for likeness rights. Okay, I, uh, Number of the Beast, I love the song, but recently um, it, I do take great offense to this, and I know Ian's going to get mad at me. And uh oh, uh oh. I have become religious lately. Oh, get the fuck. You're so full Sorry. of shit. No, I'm not full of shit, dude. I've uh, I've seen the light. Are you now listening what, to Crystal Light a lot? No, but you're close. Not Crystal Light. I'm a Crystal Methodist now. Oh, oh, oh that, that's okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, you're from the South. It makes sense. No, I love this song, dude. This song fucking rules. Uh, what a buildup. What a scream. One of the greatest screams ever, ever. Except uh, he does another scream on this album that's just as good. But and I love the way he screams and he holds it out. Unlike number uh, live after that where he goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh my god! And yeah, live after uh, over a hammersmith, he fucking holds that scream. Love it. Love the build up. That's the song I remember specifically the first time we heard the album. And I heard that scream. I was like, dude, this guy's a fucking beast. Uh, no, I, I love this fucking song. Dude. It's fucking amazing. If you read the lyrics and, and you watch the movie, I, I think it's more Final Conflict. And if you look at the timeline, Final Conflict came out while they were, you know, writing and recording this. And this is something they did in, uh, in five weeks. Uh, this is one when they, when they started recording this album, they didn't have a lot of shit pre-written and that's why uh, Steve Harris always said there's a couple songs in this album like 
he thinks you know shouldn't have been on the album and one song he thinks should have been on the album uh but they just didn't have the time because they already had shit booked and here they're breaking in a new singer and but man through all that chaos you come up with a classic like this holy fucking shit yeah uh, you know not only a great metal song but you know a, a great album cover i mean everything's iconic about this shit yeah and uh yeah, a great well put this song has like metal iconic parts all the way fucking through it oh yeah yeah i mean this, this is just you know metal, and i talked about i had a I had the black light poster at my, at my grandmother's house where I lived during the week. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, and then she ripped it down. I, I came back on Monday to find it ripped down because she was so scared because I had this. I mean, it's but it's so metal. It's so everything that attracted me about metal, musically, visually. I mean, it, it's the trifecta. And then you got this, like, uh, you know, like a whole new type of metal singer, which at that time... You know, to me, I mean, I mean, I guess if you could compare him to anybody, it'd be Rob Halford. But, like, somebody with that kind of apparatic, fucking multi-layered voice. I mean, the, the, this was just... The planets were aligned when this shit came out. And you couldn't have picked a better title track, a better album cover, you know, all this shit, man. It's I don't like the album cover. What? Oh. You know what? I'm very U- 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 UMO and AMLA here, but the truth is that... I think this album cover is a little too busy. You know, the album cover was originally supposed to be a single for uh, uh, Number of the Beast. Uh, the, Pur- the Purgatory. No, no, Purgatory. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Purgatory. And then and Purgatory Rod, is okay. Rod it's was not... like, "No way, this is an album cover." Are you looking at the blue one or the the black? I like the one? black one more, well, but I grew that, up. I grew up one. with the blue one. I grew I, up I, with the I blue like one. I like the black one more too. Yeah, I like the black one more too, but. I mean, it's not horrible, but compared to like all the other ones that I love, uh, I I don't. I, it's my least favorite of the classic album covers. Wow. I prefer I mean, Peace of Mind, Power Slave Killers in the first one. I and and Somewhere in Time, it's better than fucking some uh, Seven Sun. It's just like you know, speaking about what Ian's saying is iconic. Like everything's iconic. Like if you were to make a Mount Rushmore of heavy metal songs, now I don't think this is the best main song. But I would put this as the Mount Rushmore song with like Black Sabbath, the song Black Sabbath. Uh, yeah, it's nope. it's a song you would put in a time capsule to, to yeah. let the future know what heavy metal is about. Master right. Puppets, like those are three off the top of my head that like define yeah. a certain. I mean, I can tell you a billion, you know, all the fucking Maiden songs at the end are much better. But if I was to put one in a time capsule, it would be Number of the Beast, just Absolutely. for future for for the future. Because I'm not going to be selfish about it. I'm not going to put Purgatory or. Or, you know, uh, you'd put you you'd put a song. B-side in there. Why? Well, I know you, Ralph. You'd put no, some I won't. <laughs> I won't. I mean, uh, maybe of some other band, but not this one. Iron Maiden, this, this is, I think Iron Maiden is the most quintessential. I mean, uh, Number of the Beasts is the most quintessential Iron Maiden song out of all of them. And even though it's not even, probably not even, probably, yeah, it's probably my top 20, not my top 10. Not but top I would 10 say, to, I would say it's the one song that should if you're going to save one Iron Maiden song after all their albums, I'd say Number of the Beast, and that's just for future references for the for for the future generations, and it's not my favorite, but I just think it's so epically I, awesome yep. that it, it really does highlight not only Iron Maiden, but metal in general. 
I know? think I think it was like the next step after the actual song Black Sabbath. Like uh, it was that type of song, but faster, like the new version of that well, song. Well, I'd also put Exciter by Priest. Yeah, I was gonna say Victim of Changes. You know, I put that before that too. I'm thinking like more tonally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like but, as far as like a lyrical, you know, I no, I would probably put Vic, yeah, Victim of Changes goes in there absolutely. Or the Ripper. No, I actually put the Ripper before Victim Changes. I would too. Uh, I love it, you know. So yeah, love it. So uh, I'll take Run to the Hills. Uh, yeah, played out song, whatever. But I absolutely love this song. And this is another song that I was talking about. What a scream by Bruce. Yeah. Oh. Ah, I love that shit. I love Clive's iconic, iconic fucking drum beat. Has Nico ever done a drum beat that iconic? Oh yeah. Fucking yes. where Eagles Dare is amazing. Yeah, on the next album. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's amazing. But dude, come on, uh, Run to the Hills, which I prefer where Eagles Dare over it a lot. But that drum beat that he starts that song with is iconic. And dude, how many bands he w- go see live and they do that little drum beat warming up or just fucking around? You know, it's just something that's so. Uh, as a song, as a whole. You know, I mean, come on. It's not like, you know, uh, you know, a game changer or a fucking amazing. But there's just something about Run to the Hills that I absolutely adore the fuck out of this song. Fuck Anthrax with Indians. This is the real fucking Indian song. And I love it. I love the, the, the tempo of it. I love the way Bruce sings it. I love the way Bruce screams on it. It's a great, great, great song. Uh. Should it have been a, a single? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they picked the right singles for this album. Um, but uh, it's a great song. That's how I feel about Run to the Hills. Two thumbs up, man. What do you think, Ian? Uh, I love it. And like Justin Childers said, I've never seen a blonde-haired engine kill him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Racist piece of shit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love this song. But... Uh, I gotta tell you, I think I like Indians by Anthrax more. But uh, I, I I love it, dude. It's a, it's a classic for a reason, and and you hit some good points. Like there isn't anything groundbreaking about this, but everything about it works. Yeah, it's just a cool fucking song. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it isn't to, to me. It isn't a defining, uh, yeah, Iron Maiden song. Like if you're gonna play, you know. Like, hey, sum up Iron Maiden. I wouldn't play this song, even though it's one of their biggest hits. Yeah. You know, that'd be like, oh, uh, you know, sum up what Metallica is and you play Inner Sandman. Okay, yeah, it's a big hit. It's a good song, but it doesn't sum up what this band's all about. But it's a hit for a reason. Uh, and that's that's how I feel about this. A great song. and uh, But it, it's, it's one of the reasons that I very seldomly revisit this album. And it's not because it's not good. It's just there's so much shit that is just played out to me. It doesn't mean it's not good. doesn't mean I don't love it. But it's just, you know, songs like I never need to hear again. And Run to the Hills is one of those. I love it. Now, if, if they're playing it live, am I going to get in the spirit of it? Am I going to fucking, you know, throw the horns and everything? Hell yeah. But I'm, I'm never just going to sit at home and go like, oh, I want to hear some Maiden, and I throw on fucking Run to the Hills. You know? Nah, not going to do it. But I love it. Great song. Hell yeah. 
Well, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take the next song. Next song that a lot of people wee, wee, wee. Hey, you run to like the hills? this song. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you mean people that I, that, that oh. are like that with the elder? Oh, you're still you here? Fucking hypocrite. You're Fuck still you. here? Oh, wing, 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 the elder. Wing, wing, wing. I'm just sitting in the Fuck corner. You. I'm just sitting in the corner you watching. Fuck. All right, nitroglycerin. What do you think of Run of the Hills? So Run of the Hills, like, okay, so I'll get all the disclaimers out of the way. Overplayed, yes. It's like one of those songs like Walk, Enter Sandman, that you probably, if you never heard him again, it'd be fine. But when I got into the spirit of this album again, just listening to it for what it was, it took me back to, like, the first few times I heard this song, and I couldn't get enough. Like, this was, I mean, this has got all the Maiden trademarks. Bruce's vocals, uh, Steve's galloping bass, the real fast guitar riffs, and that bass line he rips through at the end of the song is so amazing. Clive does a great drum fill right over uh, Steve's bass. This is a song, like, yeah, like, I wouldn't go out and seek to be like, oh, I gotta go here, run to the hills today, but when I'm, when it pops on, and I'm like, oh, I've heard it before, but, like, it just is such a good song that it kind of, it sucks that it suffers the burnout factor because it is a brilliant song and a brilliant single. Uh, So in that respect, like, I still love this song very much. I don't go out actively listen to it, but when I do hear it, I get in the spirit of it, like you said, Ian, and just really enjoy it. You know, you know, if the afterlife, we actually, you know, <laughs> live some kind of afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. And in the afterlife, they don't allow music. You're going to miss the fuck out of Run to the Hills. Hell yeah. Good you point. know what I mean? Good point. And Back in Black. But at least those are the songs be stuck in your head more than the other ones. <laughs> Good thing there's no afterlife and you're just dead. Well, that I wouldn't know, Ian. Oh, I know. According to my uh, bishop at the Crystal Methodist Church. <laughs> Crystal they, Methodist? Yeah, the Crystal Methodist that Church. That guy's they, been up since 1978. They <laughs> told me not, not only there's an afterlife, there's breakfast there, too. Taco Bell, that's what it is. At like oh, Taco Bell. Oh, look, he's far. Oh, oh you're oh, ashamed. Oh, oh. You're oh. ashamed. Nitroglycerin is ashamed. How does he know it's Taco Bell breakfast in the afterlife? Only us Crystal Methodist people know this. That's true. I'm a closeted Crystal Methodist. Well, anyway, so yeah. Okay, we're done with this. So uh, should I take the the, the next song that I really fucking hate? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ganglands. Oh, my God. What a sore thumb on this one. Worse than uh, Quest of Fire? Nah, not that bad. But, boy, this song is so in the way. And it has fire, fury, everything. But fuck, man. I just don't like it. I don't like it. Not the biggest fan of Total Eclipse, which we should talk about. Yes. And I like Total Eclipse. I mean, I, I like it. It's a good filler track. Well, it, this should have been the filler track, Total Eclipse on the album. And, uh, not, you know, and you know me. I can give a fuck what Bruce Dickinson and Steve Harris think. But they both said the same thing. So that's what I think of Ganglands. I don't want to get too much into it, but Ruben De La Rosa. I love that guy. Always like, you're fucking crazy. Ganglands rules. Wow. All right. So take it away, Nitro. Ganglands is my least favorite on the album. I don't think it's, I think why I don't like it is, or not like it. I think it's my least favorite because it's a little derivative of the rest of the album. It's kind of thrown together 
it feels like it was a quickly written song. Uh, I think Steve wanted to give Clive a songwriting credit, which he could have with Total Eclipse, which is a far superior song. I mean, I, there's parts that I like about it. Like, the drums are great. Uh, there is some fire on it. The riffs are good. It's just, it's it's kind of like a sum of the whole doesn't equal the parts. Like, there's a good riff here, something okay here, but just overall, it's a little clunky. It's a, for, for me, bet, you know, Mediocre Maiden is better than a lot of bands. So I think it's a mediocre to above average. But still, compared to the rest of the songs we just heard, especially if you want to, even if I take your rankings, Ralph, and go from Children of the Dam to this, it's a, it's a come down for me. But it's still an okay song. I don't hate it. I don't really hate the song except for one part. There's one part of that song I just can't stand. Which one? Bruce is going, what was a dream to be seen again? Whatever the fuck he's saying during that part. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? On mm-hmm. Gangland? It's yeah. so annoying, man. It's like, it kills me. It's like, oh, shut up. And I love your voice and all, and, you, and you're singing well, but the pattern of that fucking melody is, oh my God, it's cheese grater Sammy Hagar material. It I sounds like feel, dreams to me. I feel like it's a, a, uh, like not as good a retread of Invaders, like the song that opened the track. It's Invaders, kinda, I'll take over this. Correct, but, but I feel you it's, know? don't you feel it's kind of like a retread, like kind of like a rehashing, just yeah, I gotta put a exactly. song on here? We gotta put a fiery song, because all the other songs are not as fast. I mean, Number of the Beast has sections as fast, but it's not as fast the whole way through. You know what I'm saying? Yes. All songs on this album, the only two real fast ones from start to finish are those two songs that I, I dislike. You know? Take it away, Ayatollah. Well, that's because you guys don't like metal. Wait a second. Wait and, a second. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this fucking song. As a matter of fact, uh, if I am listening to this album, I would go to Invaders and Gangland before the rest. Even though Children of the Dam is my favorite, but everything's so fucking played out. These songs like still like have a little bit of fucking fire to me. And this one, I would take this one over Invaders. I love Gangland. When those drums start up, it makes me wonder, did a young Alex Van Halen listen to this? Because I hear a little bit of fucking fucking hot for teacher in this shit, man. I fucking love Gangland. And I'll take this song over any fucking Blaze Bailey era song. Unless Bruce is sick Because he, he did a good job on a couple of those. You know what's a great Blaze Bailey song? Uh, I don't know if Ian, you know it, but... Uh, Nitro, you know the song Judgment Day? Oh, oh yeah. Well, X Factor. Uh, yeah, I love X Factor. Yeah, well, it's a B-side. Yeah, it's a piece of shit. It's awesome. Either way you look at it, I like Gangland. Gangbangs? Gangbangs. Justin Childers' mom's up for sale. Uh, can I take this one? Sure. Uh, the best song on the album. Hell yeah, fuck yeah. What a fucking epic amazing. I don't get burnt out on this one. And I'm glad they kept this on the set list. I know they don't do it no more because of lawsuits, but this is a... Because of lawsuits? Yeah, yeah. Somebody's somebody's suing them because they they said they wrote it. The second leg of the uh, Book of Souls tour. So they stopped playing it. Yeah, It'll be Uh, back, though. It'll be back. They'll Yeah, of course it'll be back. But that's a song... Well, it does sound like Huey Lewis's I Want a New Drug. So it could be like the whole Ghostbusters. Well, it sounds more like Ghostbusters than Huey Lewis. 
so um, yeah, um, I think uh, it's the best damn song on the album. It's uh, the most epic, well, along with uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, uh, Iron Maiden song with uh, Bruce Dickinson, and it's just, oh my God, the beginning of it. It's just reeks of classic. And uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I love it. I love it to death. That's my take on uh, that song. Oh, I love you, that name. All right. Well, I, I love this one as well. Uh, I will say it does suffer a burnout factor. Uh, but I, I'll fully admit the greatness of this song. And, man, I remember driving around with my best friend in high school, Lars, and we'd sit there, you know, and that was the thing. Can you do the running low, you know, without without breaking up? Running low. You know, we tr- keep trying to fucking hold that Come on, shit. take it. Take it all the way to the top, yeah. Ian. Running low. Stop, you're going to bust a blood vessel. For a listening experience for me, it's not what it was, but... It'll always be what it was, if that makes any sense. I absolutely love it. What do you think, Nitroglycerin? Well, I'm going to completely kiss your ass and disagree that I can... I've, this is like Eyes of a Stranger to me, where this song I can listen to over and over. Not the Maiden Eyes of a... Don't look to the eyes. Oh, oh, eyes. oh, God. Okay, I was going to say. Calm down. Calm oh, I know you just wanted to like, yell at fuck? me. <laughs> What the, this, uh, yeah, I thought you were like, this is my wasted love. You know, like, oh, yeah. Man. No, man, this is my angel of the gambler, bro. I can hear this song. No, but seriously, this song never loses any magic. I remember the very first time I heard it, I was like, I wish I could write a song this good. Uh, it's got, I mean, this is, I think I'd argue. Well, obviously I, you can or you wouldn't be on our podcast. That's true. <laughs> I wouldn't be hanging out with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, I would probably agree with Ralph that this might be the best song with Bruce. And this really uh, bookends an album that would set these guys on such a monumental run. Like, yeah, I mean, for some people, a lot of their later albums fell flat. But these guys had like a six or seven year span that could go up against any band as far as releasing classic albums and amazing tours and songs. But this one... Uh, Brew, it's well written by Steve. It's got such a story vibe. It's an epic without being too bloated at the same time. Uh, Bruce delivers one of his best performances easily in Maiden. Uh, and this song, how it's structured and lyrically sets itself to Bruce, uh, just, I, I, this one is never a burnout. No matter, I, the only difference was, is I heard live versions of this song first. So, I thought the studio version was a little slow. Like, I was like, it seems a little too slow compared to, like, when they play it live, they just fucking rip right into it, and Bruce can barely keep up with them, which was, I kind of like that because it was so fevered and fast, but uh, I just love what Clive Burr did on this song and this album, and it's such a shame, you know, that he couldn't, keep himself together with substance well, abuse then once you know, he in, got in the, himself... in the later years he played it even faster but that was the oh, MS. no no he had ms that's different he wasn't michael j fox oh that's that's what he was is, is that what michael j fox has no he's got parkinson's you moron <laughs> uh, fucking save, save, 
Same thing. Cubans, Mexicans, it's all the same. Hey. Parkinson's, MS, Cubans, Mexicans, who gives a shit? Well, what the fuck does Parkinson's do to you? That makes you shake and stuff. It's a yeah. They you both go. affect your central nervous system, but they just manifest differently. Like, yeah. okay. like Clive couldn't walk. He couldn't shake. He couldn't move. Uh, that was his problem. See, I uh, heard he wa- he walked so fast they put him in a chair because he'd lap everybody. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm Irish. I don't care about your feelings. All right. Well, this metal masterpiece was released March 22nd, 1982. Uh, the second album produced by Martin the Farmer Birch. How he was credited on this one. And- you don't want him dead, right, Ian? Oh no! I, no, I I want him to come back from the dead. <laughs> I, I want Derek Riggs to come back too. I, I I think the world needs more albums produced by Martin Birch because he's done. Have you seen Derek Riggs lately? Yes, I I, Dude, I I was shocked. I'm friends with Derek on Facebook, and and he's actually uh, he's commented on the uh, combat page before. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Let me let me add him. Um. But this did go platinum in the U.S. And, and a crazy thing, if you think about it, this album went to number 33 on the album charts when back then everything was counted and it meant a lot more than what it does now. It's, it's kind of a, a really big feat for an album as heavy as this to make it to 33 on the on you know the top 200 album charts. Uh, so fucking a, I mean it, it's a metal classic. Uh, you know, the beginning of the Dickinson era. I don't know what more can be said. We've been recording for hours. Uh, but I absolutely love this one. But now it is time to go into Pick of the Week. And uh, Nitroglycerin, you're our uh, special guest. What is your Pick of the Week? So my Pick of the Week is, I try to say on theme, if you will. I'm going to go with an album which I've told the very straight Greg Barnes before that this was this band's number of the beasts. It was I've, I've never met the straight game Greg Barnes. Oh, he is a madman. He doesn't he talks about dogs instead of cats. You know, he he's a <laughs> he, he he's a real man's man. Uh but I was I'm gonna go with nineteen eighty two again. But I'm gonna go with Judas Priest Scream for Vengeance. Nice. And why, why I'm picking this one is because I feel like this that album was a transition as well for Priest, even though you had British Steel and then you had Point of Entry, which was very different from British Steel. I feel Screaming for Vengeance was a, it's an absolute classic. It's an absolute masterpiece. And it carried Priest into their sound throughout the 80s, basically. Like, it was a marking of really a new era. I know a lot of people say it was British Steel, but for me... Screaming for Vengeance was then really in the U.S. I think it really blew the lid off for them even more than they. I mean, and they were already a big band, but that album like catapulted them in the U.S. Oh, I, I love it! And some people don't know this, but Screaming for Vengeance is better than British Steel and Defenders of the Faith. Oh, I didn't know that. It's yes. better than British Steel. Maybe. I didn't know that either. Your story. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I'll have to change my tune then. <laughs> my pick of the week is the 2002 album by Opeth called Deliverance. Fuck yeah. Yeah, you know that album, huh? I'm a huge you... Opeth uh, fan. You know that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't know that, uh, Nitro. There, it's such a chill album. 
I mean, it's heavy. It's got guttural vocals here and there, but it's chill, you know. And you know, I love relaxing to Opeth. Uh, Opeth is one of those bands that you know I got to be in the mood for. But when I, when I am in the mood and I put it on, it's just oh yeah. I don't know. It, it gives me some kind of release. All right. Uh, well, my pick of the week. Uh, you know, and I'm being very lazy here because. We don't like to do this, but I am picking another release by the band we talked about. Um, but it is it's something I stand by is the Rock and Rio uh, album slash DVD. I, I think they're both incredible. I'm a big fan of Brave New World. Uh, I think by far it's the best thing they did since they got back together with Bruce by Light Years. Uh, and I think it's, it's a great live album I, I think it's enjoyable audible and i think it's enjoyable visual all right well now it's time to come to pick of the week and uh i mean pick of the week a fan of the week and i'm gonna throw this one to nitroglycerin and say hey whether they've been picked or not actually i was hoping you're gonna ask me this because oh nice there is one guy i hands down he's kind of like my twin in denmark but it's renee I can't pronounce his last name. Oh, Renee Allenhan Sorensen. Yeah, I mean, he does, like, the recap of the episodes, and I kind of yes. jumped on it with him because I noticed the first few he did, all the fans of the week were gone from the page. So I thought that was fun. I used to put memes of, like, people being right. buried and shit like that. Right. So now I kind of, like, jumped in on that with him. Like, you know, I didn't ask him to, but, like, I kind of, like, acknowledge the fan of the week like he posts the uh, uh summary and i will acknowledge whatever fan of the week of something i know about them so oh yeah um, Th that's a diehard motherfucker dude and he he's definitely hall of fame fucking rock and metal combat podcast but ralph ralph do you ever notice this or are you too busy i can give a fuck i hate that guy <laughs> <laughs> i hate every single fan of the week that's my crazy co-host no, nah, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. Yeah, and I do notice that all the time. It's like, and I always look at it. I'm, I always like, I wonder what my my pick of the week was. You know, <laughs> right. no, I really appreciate what that guy does. It's fucking awesome. That guy goes way beyond the Call of Duty. Let me tell you. All right. And, and by the way, Ian's the one that hates him. Yeah. yeah. Enough sure. about that fucking Swede. Let's get to the plugs. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show host comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's, Gully, G-U-L-L-Y-A-N-D-J-O-A dot U-K, 8 p.m. U-K time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. Hey, rock music fans. This is Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. Join yours truly as I look every week at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life. And I'm usually joined by a friend or two or ten. And we talk about nothing but great classic rock and metal. 
and there's no country or Sammy Hagar or rap on the fucking show. That shit is frowned upon with yours truly. So if you want a great classic rock audiovisual podcast, tune on in to the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast. New episodes every Monday exclusively on YouTube. Tired of your long commute and boring workday? Well, join Brian Davis and his gang of movie buffs as they talk about a different movie subject every week on Damn Good Movie Memories. We discuss movie themes like our favorite movie villains, favorite soundtracks, and worst movie remakes, and much more. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> Hey, headbangers, you want your own radio show? Well, you got it. On Thursday nights here on that metal station, join me on the Dr. Fuck Show. Go in the chat room and I will make you my co-host. That's right. Everybody that joins me in the chat room, I discuss whatever you guys want to talk about. I'll mention your name. I'll say what you say. And we're going to go back and forth. And I'll even fucking play whatever request you want. Unless it sucks. Then I ain't playing it because my show rules and only songs that rule is allowed right here on that metal station. The Dr. Fuck Show airs live Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Hope to see you there. Well, no, no, fuck that hope. I better see you there, motherfucker. All right, this is the Ayatollah Alcoholic Ian Wadley, and I want you to listen to my brand new radio show, Wadzilla World, where I cover every era of fucking music that I like, and a few that you like too. Check me out every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time on Soundphoria.com. I'll see you there. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast, and if you love this... You'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. All right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting podcast. The Kiss Audio fanzine for your ears. That's right. It's your podcast. Every month, Podkiss crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkiss. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. All right, well, if you like this episode, obviously you could overlook fucking nitroglycerin.
come back next week where we have a good guest. Or maybe oh. not. It could be. I'm kidding. Justin uh, Childers is back. Yeah, that ain't happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. He sucked. Never mind. You You are a good guest, Nitroglycerin. <laughs> Either way, who gives a fuck what it is? Renee will put up a post about it two years from now. That's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. <laughs>